Welcome to the podcast of the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary, a space for ongoing dialogue among Asian American scholars, ministry leaders, and activists. Welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Dr. David Chow. I welcome you to tonight's Dialogues in Asian American Theology and Ministry, uh, hosted by the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary. We have a virtual audience of about 30 people in session and around half a dozen or so folks in Princeton Seminary. The Dialogues in Asian American Theology and Ministry is a series of events that provide faith leaders and students with a forum for dialogue, support, and critical reflection on ministry by Asian Americans, especially in Asian American ecclesial contexts. I'm going to invite Pastor Charles Cho to the stage as I introduce our guest speaker. Charles is the lead pastor at Tapestry LA Church. Wanting to use his ransomed life for God, he attended Fuller Seminary and graduated with his Master's of Divinity. Upon graduating, Charles entered the pastoral ministry, preaching and leading God's people with a great desire to see changed lives. Charles joined Tapestry LA with 20 years of pastoral ministry experience. Charles and his wife, Grace, live in La Crescenta, California, and have three children, Chloe, Noah, and Camden. His utmost desire is to proclaim the glory of God as he endeavors to be driven by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Welcome, Pastor Charles. Okay, thank you, David. And thank you, everyone, uh, for joining me tonight uh, for this invitation to come uh, and just converse with you. I'm more excited about the dialogue we're going to have, um, but I understand for the first uh, part of it, I'm supposed to give a talk. Um, I'm here in Los Angeles. Um, it's, I think, about 70 tonight, uh, today. Uh, so it's it's a bit warm, uh, I guess, compared to Jersey. I hope you're staying warm. Um, but I want to definitely thank Dr. David Chow for his interest in um, my ministry here in Los Angeles. Um, and I am glad, more than glad, to share um, my experiences of navigating the Asian American church and then ultimately finding my way to church planting almost by accident. Um, so I wanted to just kind of share with you that journey. Uh, I think the topics we'll sort of cover tonight um, in the context of second-generation Asian American church, uh, we'll talk about the challenges, I'm going to go ahead and move this here, um, of doing Asian American ministry. Then we'll talk about transitions, uh, and then we'll talk about sort of the opportunities I feel like um, there are now for second generation ministries. Uh, so that's sort of what we're going to uh, be working on tonight before uh, we do a bit of a Q&A. Uh, but before, I uh, wanted to just kind of give you a quick intro to myself. I live here in Los Angeles, about 20 minutes from downtown Los Angeles. I immigrated when I was a very small child. I'm now 51 years old. So I've been living in LA for almost 50 years now. And LA is definitely home to me. Uh, can't imagine living elsewhere. I'm just so used to uh, just being out here. I married a, a, a girl. Uh, her name is Grace. Uh, she's actually from Toronto, Canada. And I actually have a picture just so we can make it a little more personal here. Sorry. Um, and we have three kids. Uh, as it was mentioned, Chloe is a high schooler. Noah is in middle school. And then I have Camden, a uh, bit of a surprise baby. So he's just started first grade. Um, so, uh, drop-offs and pickups at, uh, after school, uh, is really interesting. We're always hustling. I feel like my other job is, uh, just to be an Uber driver. Uh, my other passion in life is baseball. Uh, I feel like, um, I know something about baseball that just, there's something so beautiful about it. Um, it's a bit of an idol, something I'm constantly repenting of. Uh, we are a baseball family though, um. All the three kids play. Uh, we love our Dodgers. We we hate the Yankees. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope that's okay to say. I think most of you are from Jersey, so I don't know who you actually root for. 
Um, but I actually uh, coach baseball on my Sabbath. I take my Sabbath on Saturdays, and um, I'm, I'm constantly coaching different teams. Uh, and I, I really enjoy it because it just makes me feel a little bit more normal. Uh, and then uh, it also gives me an opportunity to engage non-believers, which is kind of a rarity when you're in ministry. So uh, that's something I really like. Uh, a little bit about our church. Uh, Tapestry was planted eight years ago uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, to be exact. Um, it's we're, we're in downtown Los Angeles uh, where the two major freeways actually meet, the 110 and the 10 freeway, and we're walking distance from where the Lakers play. Uh, the location is great, so it feels like, um, you know, pretty much without traffic, uh, 20 minutes from everything. So on Sunday mornings, um, you know, we've seen that our reach can be a little wider because uh, we're right next to the freeways. Uh, the church is uh, second-gen Asian-American, 65% Korean-Americans, 30% Chinese-Americans. We're maybe 10 minutes from Koreatown, maybe another 10 minutes from the greater San Gabriel Valley area. Uh, and then I would say maybe about 5% others. The church is mostly young, um, millennials and Gen Z. Uh, they kind of make up the congregation. Uh, in fact, we have many that come from USC. Uh, we're another 10 minutes away from USC. Uh, UCLA and Pepperdine universities are also schools that we draw from. Uh, a lot of people come. Um, they come into the city as transplants. Uh, they connect. Uh, they're also getting married and having their first kids. Uh, and, you know, I kind of joke, I feel like I'm always at a wedding almost every weekend. Um, but basically, that's sort of a feel for the congregation that I'll be speaking about today. Okay, so let's continue here. I want to maybe first, actually, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the network that uh, we're a part of. We're not sort of an island on our own. Uh, we belong to what we call Axe Ministries International, AMI. And this is mostly second-gen Asian-American network of churches. We, we hesitate to actually call ourselves a network because we're still small enough that we see ourselves as family. So we actually prefer the term families of churches. Um, and it's mostly Korean-Americans and Chinese-Americans. We do have some non-Asian lead pastors as well. Here's a list of all the AMI churches. Um, I think this is some of it. Um, like the first one there is um, in Greece. Uh, we had a missionary who went out there and planted a church with refugees. Um, and most of these churches are that are listed are in the States. Uh, the last one there, Thrive Church, is actually in Taiwan. So overall, we have about 30 churches slash ministries uh, globally, 20 stateside. Um, but this is a list of all the AMI churches. And I'll talk a little bit more about our, our distinctions, um, our uniqueness, I guess, um, a little bit later as we continue in this talk. Um, so let's go into our agenda. Well, yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to just tell you that this year, this past year, our church actually planted two new churches. One was a church that was um, kind of dying, and they were looking for a pastor, uh, and this is up in Montreal. Uh, this is a second-generation uh, Korean-American church. Um, from my understanding, Montreal is the least uh, evangelized uh, North American city. Uh, and um, you can still count the number of Korean-American churches in Montreal uh, it, with two hands. There's actually only nine, uh, and they certainly don't have like a second-gen ministry up there. So... Uh, there was a group of people who uh, left the Korean church. They were kind of looking to plant. They hadn't uh, been able to find a pastor for about four or five years. Uh, but about 15 of them hung in there. And finally, we decided to uh, send our associate uh, to consider replanting this church. Uh, and they planted about a year ago. And um, they're about 60 strong, which is considered somewhat decent uh, in Montreal. Uh, and that's a, year, a one year old church plant. And then we're getting ready to actually launch uh, in Dallas a church called the Blessing Church. Uh, we saw sort of um, the trends, I guess, the demographic trends. Um, and we felt like an AMI church would do well over in Dallas. So we sent uh, an associate pastor 
Uh, we prepared him for two years, and he just went out there, and they're getting ready to launch in about two weeks, actually. Uh, so those are our two church plans uh, that we actually launched this year. Okay, so just kind of going into uh, sort of our conversation, uh, some of the challenges here um, when it comes to being a part of an Asian-American ministry. Um, recently, I went and guest spoke at a church, and I noticed afterwards that there were two seminary friends all the way from the 90s uh, who were members of that church. They were in the congregation listening. They were not in ministry. I think one was doing real estate, the other uh, insurance. And as I was kind of uh, engaging them in this conversation, I thought to myself how very few of us continued in ministry. Um, you know, we went into ministry in the 90s. We went to seminary thinking uh, we would lead lifelong ministries. But um, there are very few people who have remained in ministry. Uh, and that's actually something, um, a bit of a sad story to see a lot of these guys who have tried and eventually, for whatever reason, decided that they would move on. Um, I, you know, recently, well, maybe about four years ago, I went and started a uh, doctorate, doctorate program over at Fuller, and I noticed that there weren't very many people, number one, in seminary. It just felt like a bit of a ghost town, but even less Asians, which kind of surprised me. Um, and I did some searching, and I realized that Fuller's numbers when it comes to Asian Americans in ministry is about 10%. Uh, that number kind of really surprised me because I know many come to the States, like to a school like Fuller from Korea, uh, and they pick up degrees. But what I did notice was how a lot of second-gen Asian Americans were not attending uh, Fuller Seminary. Uh, I don't know about Princeton or even about Talbot, uh, but I just sense personally uh, that people found ministry to be very challenging for a number of reasons. And I just started to sort of write some of this information down uh, just to think about it. And the thing that I, I, I think that most of us struggle with is the sort of identity crisis uh, when it comes to serving at an Asian American church. I remember um, I, was a, I was an EM pastor, so I was an English ministry pastor at a fairly large Korean American church here in Los Angeles. And I did that for a long time. Um, and over those eight years of leading that ministry, um, I saw three senior pastor changes. And every time I felt the challenge of sort of redefining myself so that I can get along with the, the senior pastor. Um, at one point, we became autonomous. We kept our own offering and we hired our own staff. Uh, the EM was big enough to do that. We had conversations about completely becoming independent um, and to some degree, there was support. But then when the new senior pastor came, all of that changed. He actually wanted us to forego one Sunday every, every month uh, and join the Korean service uh, as a part of some kind of cultural exchange. And that was something that was really difficult. And eventually, I felt like I couldn't exist in the Korean church and the biggest sort of struggle for me was kind of the sense that my spirituality was inadequate. Um, the, there was always this feeling of like I was a child uh, leading, even though, you know, the people I led were adults, it felt like I was leading children. Um, and I always kind of resented that. And I always struggled with it, um, especially when it came to this idea of like morning prayer. Uh, I remember... Uh, one particular senior pastor was really uh, a stickler and he even took attendance of staff members. And I just always had this really negative uh, reaction to it. And I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy staff meetings. And I remember just always being so upset, like internally at staff meetings, because I felt like they couldn't understand me and they didn't appreciate that I kind of thought differently. And, and then kind of measuring the, my value and uh, my effectiveness as a pastor based on the number of times I came to morning prayer that week. And that really just really made it difficult for me to want to stay. 
Um, and I think that was a struggle that I had, uh, that I had to wrestle through. And I'll come back to that a little bit later. But I think that's partly because there's a lack of vision uh, in the Asian American church for second generation people like myself. What do we do with these guys? You know, they think differently. They want to do things differently. Uh, and there hasn't been a great model for um, churches to follow, second generation people to follow. The traditional EMKM model um, just isn't working, to be honest with you. Even some of the most successful, uh, numerically speaking, some of the bigger churches over here, um, they find that their second generation just are not coming to church. Um, and, you know, I think most of us would be familiar with even the, the term silent exodus. Uh, this is something that we see. There's a drainage um, and there's really no ability to stop it, uh, especially as kids get older, leave youth group and end up in college. Even if they graduate um, and remain at home, there's a, there's a reluctance to actually continue to attend uh, the churches that their parents go to. Um, so there's a bit of a struggle. There's no vision for how second-gen ministry needs to be done, and I'm sure we can speak more to that. Uh, and then someone like me, as a, when I was a young pastor, I felt like there was nobody that I can actually talk about ministry with. Um, you know, there are definitely people I respect, uh, you know, Korean pastors, uh, but there wasn't this idea of really mentorship in the church for younger pastors. Uh, there weren't the sense of spiritual fathers to learn from. Uh, th those types of relationships are largely uh, vacant in the Asian American church. Um, and you just sort of go to work. Uh, and that's how I felt, like kind of being treated as a worker at the church uh, to take care of younger people, to to basically make sure people don't leave the church, the young people don't leave the church. Um, so it's kind of hard to see. Uh, sorry, I'm going to keep moving the PowerPoint here. Um, yeah, so the absence of mentorship, just older people that we can look up to as examples to follow or pastors that we can kind of emulate. And even if they were successful pastors and people we respected, they just felt like they were leading such different ministries, something that I cannot, uh, or a lot of young people cannot relate to. Um, so just to continue here, um, there isn't too many uh, successful EMs here. So I'll give you one example. Um, you know, when we couple of examples here. I'll use my own first. Um, you know, we built our EM. Um, by the end of those seven, eight years, we were up to about 200, 250. And we thought that was a good enough uh, size to maybe think about independence. And um, we had conversations with the KM. And eventually, uh, it came down to people just having really strong opinions and vehemently disagreeing with each other, that it caused a riff. At some point, I felt like even if I was to leave with a handful of people, it just didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so I actually left that ministry completely. Um, and, you know, they continue as a church and they have an EM there now. And I don't, I don't believe they're more than about 20 people now. Uh, this is a pattern that you see in so many Asian American churches where there seems to be some growth uh, at a particular EM, but they don't know what to do with that. Uh, they don't know if they can fully send them out to bless them or they have to somehow try to control them so that they remain together. After all, they need help with the elementary program. Uh, they need teachers and the youth group. Uh, and so they sort of get a little bit frightful at the idea of maybe sending out a church to become independent or become a sister church. So we continue to see lack of models. Um, one of the biggest Korean American churches here that has a long history recently, um, you know, they were sort of the, the exception as far as I could tell for a long time, their EMKM survived and um, there were, you know, both congregations were equally over a thousand and we thought they were doing so well until, you know, we learned 
basically that the new senior pastor for the KM just essentially felt like it wasn't beneficial enough for um, for them to share the same campus, struggle with parking, uh, with finances. Uh, so they basically gave them an ultimatum um, to either come under KM or just go out and become independent. And that kind of caused the, uh, the church to divide. And eventually they decided to go uh, plant their own church. And the Korean started, the Korean church started their own EM, much smaller uh, now. Uh, so we, we just don't know exactly what's a successful model. Um, and for that, a lot of us just have um, what I would call a lack of vocational satisfaction. And this is why we find my friends and in insurance um, and real estate rather than continuing in ministry. This is many of us. In fact, I myself was bivocational for a long time. Uh, I managed to uh, work at an inner city school for 10 years and I picked up an admin degree. And for the longest time, I thought, you know, ministry is difficult. Uh, you know, I feel misunderstood. Um, you know, I could come on the weekend and help, but I don't know if I want to make this my life. So for 10 years, I was part of the LA Unified School District and managed to uh, go get an admin degree. And I thought maybe I'll just be a principal, use whatever leadership skills I have um, to kind of help build a church in the inner city. Um, and I do find a lot of people um, who feel a dissatisfaction with ministry kind of taking that teacher out as well. So just kind of in summary, why do a lot of young pastors find um, the church, the Asian American church challenging? Um, it's too cultural. Uh, spirituality seems very cultural, narrowly cultural. Um, you know, there isn't this um, appreciation for things that are a little different. Like, for example, I always used to wonder, you know, when I was in seminary getting my training, none of my professors ever measured like one spirituality by morning prayer. But it seemed like the, the most important, the all-consuming sort of uh, factor for the Korean church. And that to me tells me like, you know, that's a cultural issue. You know, all of my training did not really push this on me. And, and therefore, it's not the, the highest priority. Uh, more on prayer a little bit later, but there's also the sense of being treated like a worker instead of um, really part of the family. Um, and the asking for understanding um, seems really one way, that it wasn't a conversation, but it was more kind of like something we just had to sort of listen to and abide by and understand that this is what the, the KM wants. So that was largely my struggle. And I, I, I think this is a struggle a lot of us have had working in the Asian American church. It's just trying to find my identity, trying to find um, satisfaction in ministry, um, you know, success, uh, and also just uh, trying to make a livelihood to support a family. All of those things, I think, uh, are factors in um, trying to survive as a second gen in an immigrant church. Okay, so I want to move on to kind of talking about transitions. At least for me, this is kind of what happened with me. Um, so after leaving that EM, um, I took a year off. Uh, I just kind of used my um, position as a teacher um, to just kind of make a living. And honestly, I did not know if I wanted to go back into ministry. But as it's always the case, a handful of people, you know, who like your ministry, they kind of come out with you. Uh, and it was the case with me. A handful of people came out and um, they kept on insisting that I lead them in a Bible study. So I thought, why not? I'm not really preaching on Sundays anymore. So that's what we did. We started meeting for Bible study, for prayer. And then at some point, somebody asked if we can become a church. Um, and that was really the first time I ever thought about church planting. I actually have never Googled at that point church planting. So I started to research and then I realized that actually um, when I 
when I kind of researched it, there was this large conference for church planters I had never known about uh, called Exponential. And apparently it's an annual conference down in Florida. So I took the 15, 20 people I had and we went to Florida and we were amongst like 5,000 people. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, you know, these people look rather ordinary like myself um, and the group that I was leading. And that's when for the first time I felt like maybe I can plant the church. Uh, so we spent the year kind of looking at church, um, like how we can become a church. We started collecting offering. I was living in a small little condo and we we're fitting about 30, 35 people in, a, in that house, eating together, at times making visits to the various churches we wanted to visit in, in L.A. Um, but we didn't really have a blueprint. We just sort of ventured out on our own. We left the Korean church. There was no a blessing that came from the Korean church financially or even spiritually covering us. Uh, but we still felt determined, like, you know, there's something here, let's plant. And we came up with the name, um, the most generic name possible, New Life Community Church. Uh, I started looking at different denominations and networks, and we kind of landed with um, Acts 29. Um, we, we were in the process of applying for... Um, membership uh, in that network. And and then all of a sudden, we start to hear about all sorts of issues with this founder. Uh, so we kind of paused our application process. Uh, but, you know, truthfully, after two years, I knew the church wasn't working. We were averaging about 70 people. Sometimes it would be as low as 40. And then we would go up to about 100 and I get hopeful. But I was so sick and tired of always looking over my shoulder on a given Sunday, wondering why more people weren't coming. I, it was sort of messing with my mind. And like, it just, it was an existential crisis every, every weekend. Like, are we going to survive? Um, you know, and financially it was difficult. I had left LAUSD completely. I was all in and ready to give, uh, give everything to it. But the church just did not feel right. And these were, it was painful because these were my friends, people who really loved me and believed in me as their pastor, who left a bigger church for, for this opportunity. And we just were not growing. Not only that, we were fighting a lot just over silly things about like song choices or who's on the worship team. And just it, it wasn't what I had in mind, what I felt like I was giving my life up for. Uh, so after two years, I actually thought that I was going to close the church and I was having this conversation with my wife. I don't think it's going to work. I'm not happy. You're not happy. And this is too hard. So, you know, I, we decided, you know, we're going to take a season to pray and fast. And during that time, uh, during that time, a friend of mine came by the church His his mother was dying and he, he wanted to just kind of spend some time in LA. So we're, we're hanging out and he, he kind of uh, lets me know how much, how proud he was that I was a church planter and that he thought it was doing really great. But he basically said to me in that conversation, you will not make it. You will not last. Um, and he said, I remember his words, you're an island. Whether you exist, whether you live or die as a church, no one's going to know. And that's when I realized I needed to get better connected and find more, more support. Uh, trying to do it on your own. Uh, just wasn't working. And he actually said to me, I've already arranged it for you, but I want you to talk to this guy. And later it turned out to be, uh, you know, somebody who would become my mentor. Uh, so this is the first time I, you know, I can say I found a mentor who can speak into me. Um, I knew this was sort of a final ditch effort for me as a, as a pastor. Otherwise, I would just try to go into admin work at a school. So I was ready to listen. Um, you know, later my mentor would say, I knew you were a low hanging fruit because you've kind of failed in ministry. You were ready to listen. Um, and, you know, he spoke into my life. Um, he talked about sort of my fears. Um, you know, I used to have a lot of fear of men, uh, just like their opinion of me. So I would make decisions or do ministry in a certain way. Um, you know, and he, he kind of called that out and he worked with me on being less uh, fearful. 
um, stuff that no one ever said to me, you know, he wasn't afraid to say. Um, and, you know, I just kind of went under him for a year and watched how he led his staff meetings and um, just the way he would engage people, the kind of priorities he has. And he just spoke a lot into my life. And, you know, originally he felt a little too charismatic for me. Um, but, you know, it was an area that I, I was interested in, but I didn't know how to actually venture into. And I felt like he gave me permission as someone that I can trust to help me to understand a little bit more about prophetic, um, the, the gifts of the spirit, um, healing. And, you know, this wasn't necessarily my sort of background, but, um, you know, kind of coming under him, I felt like it was safe to learn. Uh, so he helped me tap into that side of side of me. And then the importance of being part of a network. Um, you know, we have monthly calls with all the lead pastors and we're constantly talking and praying for each other, uh, really trying to encourage each other because we're all sort of doing the same thing, leading Asian American churches. Um, so let me just continue here. Um, let me see. I want to speak to like the opportunities uh, and this is what I've kind of come to discover the last eight, nine years. Mm. So I think there is a place for a Asian American second generation church, a, a church that could impact the city and a church where many are thriving. Uh, so we, when we start to think through um, planting a new church through my mentor who encouraged me to close down new life uh, and he wanted to kind of give the support uh, which includes you know his guidance his mentorship but also financial support uh, we decided that we would uh, relaunch the church basically and uh, that is how tapestry was born and I remember we had about 60 people uh, when we went to a retreat so what I, what, what I saw was a lot of people taking the opportunity to leave the church when we made this change. They sort of just used it as saying, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to change, so we're going to move on. Uh, so I had about 60 people, some sent by Pastor Keith and some from New Life. And we had this retreat to really pray about a new church in the city. And we talked about this uh, sort of uh, our target, if you will. And... Um, we, we talked in terms of like concentric circles. Our biggest aim is to reach the unreached, to um, find new converts uh, in the church. And this was something that we wanted to do in the city to really reach people who did not know Christ, who didn't have a relationship with them. So we did things like 333, which is like taking three weeks to pray three minutes a day for three non-believers. And, uh, you know, we try to create excitement and opportunities for these people to come to the church. And initially, a lot of our growth came through uh, just really intentionally thinking through how do we reach the loss. And then we talked about the second concentric circle, which is this the unchurch. Um, this is part of the silent exodus. We, we noticed in Los Angeles, many people who used to go to church as, as, um, as a youth, they, when they go to college, they sort of lose their faith. Uh, you know, maybe they were challenged by their liberal professors and they don't think much about uh, faith at all. Or if they sort of didn't, you know, they were involved in some in some campus ministry. They have a hard time actually returning to their old church uh, where, where it's mostly like first gen Koreans or Chinese. And so these guys were sort of lost. They want to be a part of a community, uh, but they can't really feel like they're they can go back to their old church. And so we saw a lot of people who were once really involved, who we think have faith, but they just, they weren't very proud of their churches. So they were sort of not going. So we saw them as this big target group. And then because we're part of uh, the AMI network and because LA is a destination city, we find a lot of people interested in coming to the city. Uh, and if they had a good experience at an AMI church, like in Boston or something like that, uh, naturally they sort of just end up at our church. And then finally we have um, what uh, we like the least, uh, this transfer growth that you see in some churches 
we certainly have that. But I remember early on when we were growing and we noticed people leaving their smaller churches because they thought, oh, tapest something's happening at Tapestry. I remember having conversations, and this was our official sort of stance. When someone said they wanted to leave their church to come to our church, we always said, you owe your leadership and your church at least six months of kind of expressing your grievances and asking them to help you to kind of uh, address them, to work on them, and you in good faith working with them. But after six months, um, if you feel like the church isn't going anywhere, I, I, I told them I think it's fair game. It's your spirituality. Uh, it's opportunities you want to find yourself in. So, for example, if people were interested in missions and their local church just did not have the capacity to do global missions uh, and there was no way to address that issue, um, you know, I felt like uh, a, a bigger church that's more capable of doing those things because we have more resources that that, that should be a fair uh, opportunity for anyone. Uh, but that is, you know, one area that we have seen that we don't necessarily celebrate people leaving struggling EMs, especially leaders, uh, and then sort of finding themselves uh, at a church like ours uh, with more peers and, um, yeah, opportunities. Okay, so we've seen um, sort, sort of that target, and we always celebrate the inmost target, uh, the unreached, the unchurched transplants, you're just going to have them because they're moving into the city and then finally transfer growth. Um, one of the unique features about Axe Ministries International is, you know, amongst us, there are some cessationists and some continuationists, some people who believe in female teachers, some who are not uh, as inclined to that. Um, and what kind of enables us to coexist and still really celebrate the things that are happening in each other's churches uh, is our spirituality, which we have dubbed the radical middle. Uh, and this isn't actually unique to uh, Tapestry or AMI. Uh, there was, if you guys remember in the 80s, uh, there was a movement called Vineyard, um, the original Vineyard churches over here in Anaheim. And, you know, there's a there's a book by Bill Jackson uh, entitled The Quest for the Radical Middle. And in it, he sort of chronicles John Wimber, the founder of uh, Vineyard, his journey uh, into, I guess, growing in the gifts. Um, you know, he came from more of a traditional background where they didn't practice the gifts, but he just continued to sense the Lord just challenging him, challenging his theology, and eventually he would... Uh, learn to pray for healing, and he will learn to pray for the signs and wonder, wonder of um, the Spirit's work. And that book sort of chronicles this, but it kind of shows this tension between someone who really loves God's Word and wants to even teach it exegetically, but also this desire to see more of the Spirit, um, the work of the Spirit uh, in the life of the church. And this really resonates uh, with a lot of AMI churches. Uh, a lot of us we love expository preaching. We love focusing on the cross. But we also know that it has to be more than that, that the Spirit of God has to really fill us and uh, enable us to grow in our affections for uh, for Jesus and, and the things of God. So um, that's what we call our spirituality. Uh, our churches may be very different, but there is a pursuit of the radical middle uh, where we're trying to learn. So some of our churches are very much into like, prophetic prayer. Others are, uh, of our churches, not as much, um, but we're all trying to learn from each other and grow in the radical middle. The other thing uh, I see as a big opportunity is um, the sense of community among Asian Americans. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We have a sister church out here uh, where we sometimes go and uh, preach at each other's pulpit, uh, a church called Vintage, and it is like 99% Caucasian. They're right there next to the beach in Santa Monica. And um, we we had some friends visiting from Vintage one Sunday morning, and one young lady happened to be Asian. And after the preaching, uh, after the service, she comes over to me, and she is weeping. And I was just like kind of, you know, worried uh, why she was crying so much. And she said to me something that day that continues to remain with me, and that kind of, 
confirms what I sense. And, and so she says to me, you know, I, I, I forgot how good it feels to have people who look like me on stage. And I thought that was a very interesting comment because I know vintage. I know the pastor. They're very welcoming and very willing to work with, you know, Asian Americans and Black Americans. And, and yet this was her comment. This is what she kind of experienced that day the 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 wholeness the the feeling of coming home you know she continues to go to vintage but um you know I, that that comment actually really uh, stuck out for me and it's sort of the feeling that i've always always had the sense that you know i can easily go to uh, maybe a caucasian church but i'm not sure if i will always feel like i belong um or that I, I would feel like I have the opportunities uh, at that church. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it can happen, but I just have the suspicion that it's a lot harder. Um, and I remember really beating myself over, like, the question of multiculturalism. When people say, you know, every now and then somebody will say at the church, why can't we be more multicultural? Why can't we have, you know, more diversity on staff? And well, we all sort of don't like if you want diversity, you have to sort of hire for diversity. Uh, but, you know, the 22 staff members that I have, we've never hired anyone outside of the church who was not first a member. So all 22 of them, they decided, you know, as a member, I want to explore this calling into ministry. Pastor Charles, can you help me uh, to see what that might look like? And that's how they made their way onto staff. Now, we did hire two just this month outside of our um, church uh, just because we, we, we have a growing need. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, I, I would struggle with that question of like, why aren't we more multicultural? Why don't we see more, you know, Caucasians or Hispanics or uh, Black people? Yes, we have a, a sprinkle of them here and there, but you know, there's really no representation here. And I remember having a conversation with the friend professor over at Fuller, uh, who runs the Asian American studies there. And he said something to me, I don't know if I agree with it, but, you know, he said something very provocative. He said, you know, why, why are you so burdened by this? You know, and he, he, I think playfully said, you know, that's sort of the white man's burden that you're feeling. Like, no one else feels that burden that you're feeling. Why are you feeling so guilty about not being more multicultural? And he was trying to maybe tease out some level of self-hate or uh, lack of self-acceptance. But this is, of course, something, you know, I, I think we should be wrestling with. Um, but I can at least say of myself that I've come to accept things as, as they are and accept myself for who I am and accept the community that I'm leading for our own uniqueness. Um, and there is something about, you know, I think every Sunday morning everywhere in America attests us to this, kind of being with your people. Maybe it's not always positive, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so negative. Um, and so I'm kind of learning to embrace that. And, you know, whether I might change my mind on that or not, I'm okay with saying we are Korean-American or Chinese-Americans or Asian-Americans predominantly. And that's just kind of who we are as a church, and we've learned to accept that. Uh, the other thing that I see as a huge opportunity is there are a lot of people who feel exactly like what I just said, where they don't feel at home at certain places, which means that a lot of them are looking for a community, looking for a place to belong. You know, our, our church... I, I think on Sunday, I think it's probably about 800 plus in two services. But, you know, what's interesting is we have this annual, you know, it's community fair where people are signing up for cell groups. This year, uh, when we ran our, um, what we call celebration, um, we had over 970 signups. So that tells me, actually, there's less people on Sunday than in our small groups which is interesting. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with this number where um, they say now 
uh, is the times that you go to church in a month. So it's not even two times. They're going every other week, you know, for whatever reason, they're traveling, young people are, you know, they have, parents have sports commitments for their children. Um, just people are not as inclined. I think it's actually even less after the pandemic, but that number is definitely something that we feel here at the church. Um, but there is still a need for community and people are looking for like-minded people to belong to. And if we can get the community aspect, well, I think it can be a, um, a effective front door to the church and to um, the cause of Christ and kind of growing in that. Uh, that's the next thing that I want to talk about. Huh? A lot of our millennials and Gen Zs you know, they're willing. This is what I've discovered. You know, they're the best educated generation ever. Um, you know, they care about everything from climate change to racial injustice. And what I sense from our young people is that they're actually looking for not just somewhere to belong, but they want to have a cause that they can call their own. And, you know, from from very early on, just because we're in downtown LA, I felt like this had to be part of our identity. So we talked a lot about kind of being on mission for the Lord. And so we found local partners that we're really involved with. We're committed, we've committed ourselves to really helping them in the city. Um, and we're, you know, although a lot of us do drive in and, you know, we, we live in our suburbs and we drive in, we're really learning to truly love the city as much as we can. Uh, and we're raising up missionaries. Just yesterday, we sent out another family uh, onto global missions. Uh, every summer, we, we have about seven teams that go out uh, to various locations in the world. And we're just really pushing our people to be on mission. And it's our hope that we'll continue to raise up more missionaries. Um, we're believers of church planting as an effective way of doing missions. Uh, and so we want to continue to plant more churches. We also have programs like one-year interns where um, they can go to one of our AMI churches overseas, like especially Guatemala, where um, there's a lot of poverty. Uh, so we like to send people out there to spend some time uh, as they kind of learn about uh, ministry and missions. The other thing that I also, um, we've been kind of working on here at the church that's been very effective is what we call gospel care. It's now developed into something bigger, uh, but basically we just noticed with a lot of young people, there was a lot of mental health issues. Uh, and this is something that a lot of Asian American churches don't talk about. Um, but we just kind of, we did our research and we created a ministry where um, we're, we're servicing a lot of people who are struggling with mental health. Uh, what we can handle, we we do. We have a, a like a team of I don't know, like twenty people who intake and who uh, who are trained in inner healing and even deliverance. Uh, we have like ministries called like space. Like this isn't necessarily for teaching, but you know, if you're struggling with uh, let's say gender dysphoria, which is actually a big issue in the city. Uh, we create safe, non-judgmental spaces where we can have this conversation. I've I've um, trained my leadership to really grapple with the LGBTQ issues in the church. Uh, of course, we have a, a traditional view of things, and sometimes people find that very difficult. We've had very um, hard, but I would say meaningful conversations about sex and sexuality and uh, transgenderism. So because we are a city church, we feel like we can't shy away from these difficult conversations that we have to create spaces. Um, I can tell you we have one staff member who um, left that lifestyle, but still identifies and struggles with it, but uh, has chosen to uh, be uh, celibate uh, so that he can continue uh, in seminary and continue to serve at the church. But it's constant conversations of encouragement and prayer and a sense of loneliness. These are things that we, we deal with and we grapple with here at the church. Um, and because we are a church in the city, um, we believe that we're called to both preach the gospel and um, work towards justice in the city. We, we, we try to 
really bring churches together to pray, uh, especially during the pandemic and when there was racial riots here in Los Angeles. Um, we found ourselves really praying with other churches, praying as a church. Sometimes we're misunderstood. We get sometimes the label as being too progressive. Uh, sometimes we get the other exact label uh, that we're backwards. I've been called a bigot because of my my position on uh, traditional view of marriage. Um, so yeah, I mean that we're dealing with the issues of the city. I, I guess that's the way I would put it. Um, finally, um, there's a personal sort of renewal that I've been going through, and um, I've been kind of encouraging my church to go through with me. Is um, yeah, I you know it it took me seven eight years. Uh, I went on a little sabbatical. Felt like you know what what um what's known as like the lower room all the furnitures in the church our programming the people all of it is i feel like we can do it uh we have talented enough people who can kind of present themselves well as a ministry but i wanted this i wanted something more and um just more recently i've had a renewal for prayer um and so the, the two things that I'm really working on right now is what what we call CFT and the prayer room. Uh, CFT stands for Center for Training. This is the idea of really equipping the saints for ministry um, and just being more devoted to the apostles' teaching, really. And then the prayer movement, we're trying to partner with 24-7 prayer movement um, That's that comes out of England. And uh, right now, as we speak, uh, our prayer room is almost done. Uh, so we wanted to create a culture where people can come to the church and pray at any time of the day. So this is what the Lord is doing, kind of. But, you know, I, I feel like I needed to go through the seven years to kind of come back to Acts 2.42. Uh, you know, it sounds so cliche, but to really prayer uh, and to the word, being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Like So that's kind of where we are. Let me just finish by telling you. I know David here will come back soon. Um, our mission statement, uh, and this was sort of renewed uh, after seven years, is to invite broken people to be restored by Jesus in the whole of life. And I, I know that sounds a bit um, cliche in some ways, but um, we wrestle with every single word in there. And I think these words put together perfectly exemplifies what we want to accomplish as a church. We here at the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary invite you to join in the ongoing dialogue on Asian American faith, identity, social engagement, and ministry through our newsletter, blog, and upcoming conferences at ltiaa.com.